Hey, it's Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting, and welcome to another episode of Founders and Friends. And before we start the podcast, let's give a quick shout out to Rippling. Rippling is the new cool payroll tool that we see a lot of startups using. Rippling is great for your traditional HR and payroll. They integrate very nicely. But guess what? They did another thing. They integrate into your IT infrastructure. They make it really easy for when you hire someone to spin up all the web services and their computer, which sounds kind of like not a huge deal. But actually, we did the study at Cruise. We spend $420 on average just getting a new employee's computer up and running and their web service up and running. It's actually a really big deal. It saves a lot of money. And the dogs are eating the dog food. Like We see a lot of startups coming in to Cruise now using Rippling. So please check out Rippling. Great service. We love it. I think we have a podcast with Parker Conrad. You can hear it from his own words, but we're seeing them take market share. So shout out to Rippling. And now to another awesome podcast at Cruise Consulting's Founders and Friends. Thanks. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise. Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty Orn. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And today, my very special guest is Andrew Farah at Density. Welcome, Andrew. Hey, how are you? <laughs> if you listen to this podcast, you know pronouncing people's last names is difficult for me. <laughs> uh, so Andrew is the co-founder of Density and super excited to have him on the podcast. And maybe you can start out by just telling everyone how you had the idea to start Density. Density was mostly born out of laziness. We wanted to know how busy our favorite coffee shop was. And oh. it was uh, it was really bad weather in upstate New York. And co-founders were all running a consultancy at the time. And we, we, would, we would walk five blocks through three feet of snow and negative 20 with a wind chill in upstate New York and Syracuse, only to hit a 20-minute line once we got to Cafe Kubal, which is our favorite coffee shop. And uh, we were like, this is stupid. Why is there an API for the weather that we're the inclement weather that we're walking through, but there isn't an API for how many humans are in a space. Like there, this must be yeah. a solved problem. What we suspected was going to be a weekend side project turned into a half decade of our lives. So that reminds me, I had, I didn't even, we've been working together for a long time. When I was in college, I had the same, a similar idea for like, I went to Berkeley. So there was a bar called Henry's that was really popular. And I always, we all wanted to know if Henry's is worth walking down the hill or not to go to the bar. So I could have been, uh, I, if I just was better at designing products Every, and building products. I everybody has had this problem. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just, a, it's yeah. just a question of like, are, are you willing to like, just truly steep yourself in how weird humans are to eventually figure out how to count them for long enough? And we, you know, we're, we've been gluttons for punishment the last five years, six years. But you guys did something about it. That's really kind of the essence of a founder at all. Like, taking the leap and making it better for people, you know? So kudos to you. Maybe you can just so, so you kind of said like density counts people. You're being kind of, you're underplaying what you guys do. Can you tell everyone like how the, how the service works and you know, how someone would use it? Yeah, sure. So we do actually count people that that's actually the, that's sort of like the fundamental layer. On top of that, we, we do this for what began with coffee shops has essentially resulted in us working with some of the largest companies in the world, hundreds of largest brand name organizations, predominantly because they've got a lot of square footage in their portfolio and they have very little idea how it's used. And so we end up with this really interesting question. Well, if I have 75 million square feet of space, how much of that am I wasting? Like, did you know that we clean rooms that are clean all around the world? 
That's amazing. I never thought about we that. We clean rooms. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes twice a you're day. Right. Sometimes many times a day we clean rooms that have not been touched. And that's because time-based schedules for cleaning are a proxy for demand or usage as opposed to actual usage being the measurement wow. of usage. And so if you think about like the colossal waste in or inefficiency in physical buildings, it's kind of mind-numbingly large, and we stumbled into it because we got a lot of calls when we talked about building a system that was real-time, accurate, and anonymous. And I mean anonymous by design and at source, not anonymized. Like we're not a camera. That's a big deal. People are more comfortable when they know they're not like individually being counted kind of thing. Yeah. So we, we help these organizations understand how buildings are used at scale. Um, we actually manufacture in the US and we ship to 25 countries. We get installed at every room, floor, uh, building level. These Our entry sensor gets installed above a point of entry. And then as people walk into and out of the space, we use infrared laser light to calculate depth, which is essentially bouncing infrared, infrared light off of objects as they move beneath a, a point of entry, and then measuring the amount of time it takes for light to return back to the sensor. And we do that you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of times. And what you get is this this gradient of sort of varying measurements of uh, tall or short and call it like a two, one pixel by one pixel square. And you, wow, you, no way at the pixel oh, level. Yeah, and then you collect crazy. and you collect millions of these things and you turn it into contiguous uh, objects that are that turn out to be humans. You feed it into a machine learning model and then it outputs plus one, minus one. And then the cool thing is that you install these things, you know, these entry sensors that are fully custom at each point of entry. And then they operate as a mesh to understand one space. So if you have, you know, call it five points of entry into an engineering floor, if we're at each of the points of entry, we can automatically reconcile real-time count and occupancy, dwell time and busyness and so forth, space utilization and waste, all from those five sensors. And we roll that up into large-scale measurement. The mesh part of that makes tons of sense. So there's no like uh, black areas or areas that like, one camera can't get like almost like a Ocean's Eleven kind of situation, right? Where like although they, it's not a camera, just want to clarify, not a camera. Yes, and so, but there's no like there's no like dipping dipping away or not being counted, basically. No, I mean doors doors are actually a really nice natural constraint, you know. So it's it's like instead of trying to figure out all the space that people use, you're just sort of like, well, if I can just figure out the entry point and the throughput, then and I cover all the entry points that I can accurately count or or result in, in occupancy data, which pre-COVID, this was being applied for energy e efficiency, security for stopping right. tailgating, yeah. um, space utilization, so identifying space that's wasted, space design, moving stuff around to see how that changes behavior inside buildings, uh, real-time availability of assets in space. I mean, like the, the platform uses were the long tail is very long. Mm -hmm. During COVID, customers really only care about two things. One, can you keep people safe? And two, can you preserve cash for payroll? And it turns out yeah. that real estate is the second most expensive thing next to payroll. So yeah. everyone yeah. looks to real estate to say, well, what aren't we using? And um, like the US federal government, I think the US federal government might be able to save a quarter of a trillion dollars in waste. Really? Space. Yeah. Wow. Just because they have so many buildings and so many employees and people just aren't using half the space basically? Well, they're the largest landowner in the world. And they're they're led by a group that frankly are some of the most forward thinking, most thoughtful people I think I've ever met um, in space, space 
utilization design and optimization and um, setting aside all the politics that exists elsewhere, like the people that run the real estate of the federal government are actually extremely uh, thoughtful and are trying to rationalize space so that they don't, well, they, they operate 8,000 leases and that's half their portfolio. The other half of the portfolio is owned. So anyway, that's amazing. Yeah. So they have to man. So by rationalizing, not only save money, but they reduce the complexity and things like that, right? Yeah. That, and they're probably they're probably coordinating with all the cleaning crews that you talked about, and you know, moving crews and stuff like that. So that's additional complexity I never would have thought of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the scale of these operations is really colossal. So like I was talking to an organization that runs, you know, it's a 125 year old company, 60,000 employees, all of a sudden are working from home. You yeah. know, like massive difference from Monday, from Friday to Monday, you know, when COVID hit and when they reopen, they're going to reopen buildings in 60 countries. Like it's just the scale of space is like a physical buildings is so much larger than I think any of us really appreciate. And so when you think about yeah. like historically what we've done as, as sort of, a, you know, as humans, it's like we have been designing and building buildings for thousands of years on an architect's best guess. We've guessed there's no measurement. It's the most valuable asset in the world whose performance we don't measure. And in the US, there's 10 point, there's, there's 10.9, it's about 11 billion square feet of leased your own corporate real estate just in offices. So not industrial, not manufacturing, not retail, just offices, 10.9 billion, 11 billion square feet of space. 41% of that is vacant, but paid for and occupied. Meaning like I go in every day, and I don't use that entire portion of the office. Wow, there's, there's that's, that's crazy. Four, four but did they? Yeah. Is that stuff that like you that they didn't know about, or or there's a huge portion of that that you're uncovering for clients, basically like? So everybody knows yeah, they have this problem. What they what they can't figure out is which forty one percent. So it's like you're wasting your advertising spend. You're just not sure which which half you're yeah, wasting. Exactly. I know my real. Exactly. I know my real estate's working. Yeah. I just don't know which half is working. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the thing is, like, when you add it up in the US, that's 4.5 billion square feet of space. That's a trillion dollar asset of, of unused but occupied space, untouched. Yep. And if you look internationally, the numbers are nearly identical. So in, in Europe, it's like 38% unused but paid for. In, in, God, Japan, in Japan, it's 46% wasted but paid for. China is a bit of an outlier, but I don't totally trust the numbers coming out of China. But at pretty much everywhere else in the world, you hover between 38 and 45%. And, and that's because humans are really bad at using space or optimizing the use of space, regardless of the region. We just are bad at it. And you said it, like real estate is a company's basically second largest expense line item after payroll. And so if you, that 38% of unused, you know, space, if you could take that out of, like, if you just looked at every company's P&L across, you know, the U.S. and took 38% out of their second largest expense, that's like a huge dividend. That's like more money to invest in engineers and more money to invest in people and help your customers. It's like, it's a really powerful, that's a, it's a, it's a really amazing point. I mean, I think also, you know, there's always this question of practicality. It's like, can I actually get rid of 41% of my offices, you know? And I, and I would say, you know, the, I don't actually mind if you waste space. Like my job isn't to tell you, shame on you, you're wasting space. You know, yeah. it's, it, it's to say, if you're going to not use space, at least know, like at least know where that is. So you can make an informed yeah. decision about the design, construction, use, and safety of your buildings. And I know that we're going to talk yeah. about safety, but I, I just, I just want to call out that like how this practically ends up uh, being applied, at least in the real estate sort of 
rationalization side is you end up with um, uh, something called lease avoidance. So those 8,000 leases I, I told you about with uh, the uh, US federal government, half of them are expiring in the next five years. So the question is, okay, as on this rolling basis, as they're expiring, as those 4,000 leases are showing up to expire, what do I shed? What do I keep? Yep. And what do I invest yep. in? And like, those are decisions that like are being made every, every month by every major corporation greater than 10 million square feet. This feels like, I never really put it together until you start, until this interview, but it feels like the just-in-time manufacturing revolution of like the Japanese and then, and then Detroit, like the, the automakers, you know, copied it in like the late eighties, nineties, mm -hmm. but like everyone knew, like no one really put a price and capital on all the lug nuts that were sitting around and all the, all the chair, the car seats and all that stuff, all that inventory that was just sitting on people's balance sheets and not doing anything. And as you're talking about this, I'm having like MBA flashbacks, to case studies around just in time manufacturing. Cause it's like, well, People hold like it maybe maybe this isn't correct. So correct me, but everyone feels like they need to have some buffer space. Probably at least the big companies do. So that maybe that thirty eight percent goes down to like twenty percent or fifteen percent. But as everyone starts making that movement, the market for space becomes more liquid, and everyone can continually push down their own buffer in the same way that just in time manufacturing. Like the, the automakers got their suppliers to do just in time. And so the suppliers then started betting fit and it worked its way through the whole supply ch supply chain. It's like, I can see the same thing happening over the next 10 years mm -hmm. in real estate. Is, is that too, am I being too kind of pie in the sky nope. or what do you think? No, you're nailing it. I mean, think of, think of buildings as servers and yeah. it's yeah. like you're, you're, yeah, you're, you load, better. you load balance a server, you know, like why can't yeah. the human populace load balance itself? Uh, at least demand on physical buildings and physical space. And the, 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 the first, the fundamental problem, if you want to answer that question, is measurement. You must measure first to determine where there are discrepancies before you can make any informed decision about how to yeah. deal with those discrepancies. And so the thing that's most exciting about all of this is that when you follow it to its logical conclusion, if you can solve the distribution problem, meaning an intelligent device into every relevant room in the world, if you can solve that distribution problem, you earn the right to remake it. Like you, you earn the right to redesign yeah, how yeah. the how the surface yeah. of the earth is is built, and like that yeah. is an extremely fun quarter century project. You know, that's like yeah. how do we do, how do we build a big enduring business that's capable of helping a really large? You know, the TAM is sort of almost like a joke of a TAM, but like how do you, how do you help like all all space to be more efficient, better designed, and more aware of, of the people that need it? And the thing that's really cool is that followed to its to its end you actually end up if if this works and you know i don't know like we can have this conversation in 20 years but if this works you can have an impact on well before i tell you the conclusion we had a customer who took a twenty-five thousand dollar deployment of density sensors call it roughly you know 800 bucks or 800 dollars per sensor per year is what we charge our pricing is public twenty-five thousand dollar deployment of density sensors in a small, that's 20, roughly 30 sensors, you know, deployed in a, an office space. They were looking at a new lease that was right next door as they were onboarding a bunch of new people. And they mm -hmm. found in Density's data for the office building that we were deployed in, which is a $25,000 project, that it was only 37% utilized. So, so they go to their global COO, this is a major organization, says, hey, 
I got 60% more space, 63% more space. I don't think we need this lease that we're like looking at. And the COO goes, how much is the lease? And the guy says, well, it's a million dollars a year on a three-year term. So it's a $3 million lease. And he goes, walk. Five days before signing the lease. Wow. Amazing. From the, amazing. Now what, what that means is not only did the, not only is the ROI on a $25,000 spend yeah. $3 million, you know, <laughs> which is great. And they're now doing like a national rollout. Like it's a really great, really great win for everybody. But the, the really cool story is who gets the lease that wouldn't have gotten the lease. And then who good down, downstream gets the lease that that company that would have gotten the lease no longer yeah. needs until eventually you don't build a new building and you have an impact on carbon. And like, that is so cool. Like that is load balancing physical buildings. Hey, it's Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting. And before we get back to the podcast, quick shout out to ChartHop. ChartHop is one of my favorite new SaaS tools on the market. And basically what ChartHop does is it puts your org chart in the cloud. And I always like to say like, it brings transparency to your organization. And so, you know, everyone in your organization can see who they report to. They can see the full org chart of the company and how their group relates to, to other groups. It also has a lot of information on the individuals of the company. And so you can click on the chart out profile and just get like where people live, their experience, you know, Slack handles, all this kind of stuff. And it's just a really great tool. The other thing is ChartOp has started doing some cool stuff around compensation and budgeting planning. And so you can actually start seeing like what the cost structure of the company look like during certain kind of scenarios. So I'm loving ChartOp. Check it out, chartop.com. We use it at Cruise, really like it. And I can't recommend it enough. All right, back to the podcast. I could even see that is super cool. Like not even have to build a new building is amazing. I could even in like the, the load balancing analogy too, like, and you, you know way more about this than I do, but like Amazon's got like kind of your productions, AWS is your production servers, but then you've got like the, I don't even know what you call it. It's like the old data that you never access servers, you know, and those are, those are like one twentieth the cost or one tenth the cost, you know? And so there's this market that can form where maybe, maybe you do have a little bit of buffer space, but you're paying one tenth what you would normally pay for buffer space because it's, it's labeled as buffer, yeah. right? In the same way that Amazon's like, you know, hey, I never access this data stuff is. And then everyone can pool, pool buffer space. And that, again, leads to another building not being built, which sure. is pretty cool. So, there, so, so there's a... Yeah, you got, you're, you're in a great spot, man. It's, it's, <laughs> it's really fascinating what you built well, you're... and what you're making... For what it's worth, like I'm not, I'm the representative of 49 other yeah. folks who built this thing. Um, I just get yeah. to, I get to tell the story, which is exciting, but you're just the guy who wanted the latte just, and didn't want to stand. Alone. Yeah. I'm, this is, this is out of laziness. There's a great story. There's a great story called the internet Coke machine. It's almost the exact same story. And it talks about putting a little microcontroller inside of a Coke machine to figure out because these graduate students, Cornell, or I can't remember where they were, were trying to figure out if the, there was only one Coke machine. And they got moved to another building, but they would walk and then the Coke machine would be empty or the Cokes oh. would be warm because they hadn't been there long enough. And so they put in a little microcontroller like into the thing and uh, they like connected it to like the local like network. I, I think this might be hypocritical, but I'm pretty sure this, as the story goes, like so began the consumer internet. 
all over laziness. Wow. It was like this. Really? It was like, or like the first connected thing or something like that. It was like, yeah, yeah. all they wanted to do is have a little terminal readout that says, is there cold Coke? Should I waste my time and walk to go get this Coke or am I going to be disappointed? And so it's functionally the exact same thing. I also wanted to mention your, your response, this concept of like unused or like low cost space or like sort of your excess space. There's a, there's a really good corollary, I think, uh, that I've heard a couple of times, which is um, Google used this for um, remnant inventory. So they took all the ads, all the remnant ad inventory that was unused, and they made it super valuable and, and like put a price tag on it. And I think that that's actually, I think WeWork is actually the closest application of this. WeWork minus the weird cultural stuff is actually in a very similar business to us. I think they, if I, I was recalling, I think they even built some like tracking or something where they could, they, that was part of their pitch was like, we, we can actually reconfigure the floors because we know where people like their walking paths are mm -hmm. and get more space. I mean, you know, cruise, we were, we had three, we, we work offices, like we love, we work and we are out, we're out of those because of COVID and now we're, everyone's totally remote. Our whole, like everyone in San Francisco decided to move to some other place in the country besides Vanessa and I. So we don't have San Francisco WeWorks anymore, but I told, I, it was amazing. Like we loved it. Our team, we used to have like a 30 person office in downtown San Francisco, like every normal startup. And it was miserable to manage and all this kind of stuff. WeWork was like the greatest thing that ever happened to us. So yeah. And, and WeWork is the, um, you know, if WeWork can buy or, or someone like WeWork going and buy this, like your Google remnant inventory uh, example, that that's a billion, you know, it's a more than a billion dollar business. That's like a humongous business. I think there's like the core value of WeWork, I think is your point about this like excess space. It's, it's really like, how do you scale up, especially as an enterprise, how can you scale up, dial up or dial down space sort of on demand, which is very similar to like how you might dial up or dial down uh, demand on us on with a server. So Anyway, I think these are really good metaphors. the the real The real thing that's going to take time is just figuring out how to how you maniacally stay focused on solving the distribution problem. So if you solve the distribution problem, you become a platform layer that can be used by lots of other systems: um, heating and cooling, access control, space design, architecture, demand based needs, so room booking or desk booking. There's just so many things that get tied to that. Yeah. And then, as a result of COVID, we've been pulled into safety which is a yeah we'll talk about safety real fast sure so that's and that's probably you said people people care about two things saving cash to be able to maintain jobs and payroll but the other one is safety like that's what people really care about and so how how is how has density made the world or the the world of commercial real estate safer i mean we're really small so i just want to say like we're world changing is always in retrospect so i'd say we're and how Every little, like a little thing every single day, yeah. you know? You know, we, we design, so we build a system that can in real time tell you the occupancy of a space. That became really relevant when COVID hit to a meat processing plant that we were working with who reached, well, oh, wow. a meat processing plant who reached out to us and said, hey, we just had a, an outbreak of COVID. This is March, February. We just had an outbreak of COVID. We are federally mandated to remain open. I don't know if you remember this, but the federal government mandated that meat processing plants specifically. I remember. So, yeah. yeah. So we are federally mandated to remain open and our employees are terrified to come in and get sick. So what we did is we, we built a, a very simple dashboard that just shows you go or wait based on the maximum capacity that you've set for a room. And it was awesome. It just like, it totally like, it's called safe by density. 
And it's really cool. It's just that it uses your existing television that might be installed outside of a room or an iPad or any other digital device. And as long as density's entry sensor is installed above your point of entry, as people enter or exit, you can say, I want no greater than 50 people. And then yeah. what it does, it just says like, go until you get to 50. And then it says, wait, once it hits 50. And then once it decrements down to 49, it goes, go. And this sounds really silly but or simple, but the cool thing is that humans, if given better information like weather, make better informed decisions about what jacket to wear. And so we didn't want to go the route of like, how do we police whether or not you're socially distant? And instead, you're going to socially distance or wear a mask based on your own decision as like a human. We just want you to have the info that like, just so you know, it's a little crowded in there relative to the overall square footage. What I love about that story though, is also it's a demonstrable, like something that the, the, the meatpacking company or whoever you're using for the example did on behalf of their employees so that the employees could actually see that they cared. Cause so many of those like, Hey, we're keeping, I remember those stories at the time, keeping the meatpacking companies open was like in a pitted uh, employer versus employee type of thing, or like the employers didn't care or what, you know, that was like the, the emotional bent of those articles. Mm -hmm. And I love hearing that story because they actually did care. They did something about it and they put something that's like right there and everyone's that clearly visible so that people can make the right decision. So I think it's a, it's a classic win-win because both the employer and the employer are benefiting in that situation by more from, from just more information. Yeah. You also are touching on something that we've learned from a lot of our corporate customers who decided to then implement the same system, but inside their offices as they reopen buildings. 48% of the US population can't work from home. And so there are a lot of organizations, we talk in tech, like it's sort of normal to be like, oh yeah, like nobody's going back to the office for the next 12 months. The reality is there's a lot of folks, especially essential businesses, fulfillment centers, distribution, warehousing, you know, meat processing plants, universities, education, K-12. These places are like reopening. And that in reopening, the thing that we learned from a lot of our customers, by the way, side note, so many people became experts in safety and pandemics. <laughs> Like right after COVID, it was amazing. It's amazing. There's a lot of there's a lot of postal service experts right now. Oh, yeah. as well. Um, I'm a taping. But yeah. So fully acknowledging that we were not experts in safety, we went out and interviewed like as many of our customers as we could to understand how they were thinking through safety. And the, there was this resounding response around one particular concept, which was safety is a two sided problem. The first side is can you make it safe? That's technology, tools, cleaning, best practices, temperature checks, sort of all these things. The second is, can you convince people it is safe? Yeah. And that's yeah. messaging, data, you know, a go back plan, like signage. Like that's, that's not, is it safe? That's in fact, and a really good example of this is, my favorite example is putting Lysol wipes on an employee's desk before they come back is an incredibly useful way to solve Number two, not number one, because number yeah. you, you're going to clean the place the way that you're going to clean it. That desk may be immaculate, but if you give uh, Lysol wipes to an employee or a visitor who can then wipe down their own space, that agency has dramatically increased their trust in the space. And so, and all it takes is freaking Lysol wipes on like a desk to like yeah. increase or solve for that second problem. So agency is a beautiful word. You're exactly right. Like creating agency and letting people do it. I, I love that. It's amazing. Well, hey man, I I got I could talk to you for like two more hours because I think what you're doing is amazing, and but I gotta let you go. So maybe you can tell everyone how to reach out to Density 
if, if they need to get a hold of you through LinkedIn or something like that, but just how to take action and create some agency for their organization after listening to this podcast? Well, you can go to density.io, which is uh, sort of where all of our stuff is. You know, I, I should say, you know, we're not, we're not going anywhere. We, we recently raised a $51 million Series C through Kleiner Perkins. So we're going to, we'll be here for the next four or five years, hopefully for the next 50. But I think that the, you know, generally speaking, I'd say like, if you're trying to understand how to reopen safely, density is an excellent place to come. Even if you don't end up using our technology, we've done a lot of interviews and sort of posted a lot of content about how different organizations are dealing with this, whether you're in tech or you're in finance or you're in uh, logistics, or if you're actually a warehouse. And in the event that we can be helpful, you know, all it really takes is uh, installing this device with a little ethernet cable above a point of entry. And you're, you can sort of immediately give a substantially better sense of security and functionally rate limit how humans use space. And then I think the last thing that I mentioned is um, there are a lot of promises right now around like, why don't we just like check everybody's temperature every time they go through a point of entry or there are a lot of marketing promises. And then there's the reality of like, what's going to, what's going to happen. And like investing in things that are not going to change, I think is a, a better way to approach what you adopt and what you don't. And temperature checks, for instance, are a great place at a security checkpoint. So you go in, you get your temperature checked inside security where you sign your NDA, for instance, and then you go into the building and you're fine. Not really necessary to check your temperature for every room that you wander into thereafter during the day that you're visiting. And then the other thing is that like a lot of organizations are starting to look at this as COVID is a change agent for some type of modern infrastructure that I've long been trying to implement. Yeah. And like that yeah. tends to be a great way to also think about the system. So if you could just snap your fingers and immediately know how every building in your portfolio is being used, how every 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 space that you own, manage, or otherwise are responsible for overnight, those buildings becoming aware of the people in them without invading privacy. I mean, it just it unlocks sort of an infinitely long tail of efficiency. And yeah. um, and so a lot of organizations are thinking about COVID as a way to uh, think long-term about modernizing their buildings so that they can make better decisions about those buildings four or five years from now when, you know, two, three years from now, or hopefully 18 months from now when the pandemic yeah. is long gone. What you just said, and then hopefully density becomes that operating system layer and people who are listening to this and check out density, start building stuff on top of it that we've never even thought of. Like you rattled off five or six things that could save money or make things more efficient, but there's probably, you know, the next Andrew out there who is see, hears about this and says like, oh my gosh, if I only knew how many people were in a room, I could do X, Y, and Z. And we have some really amazing applications built on top of density. That would be amazing. Yeah, totally. All right, buddy. Thank you so much for coming by. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much for the time. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Friends with your host, Scotty. Oh. Scotty.